Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we'll just begin with a word of prayer. Excuse me. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for the opportunity of being here this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of being able to meet together free from persecution, the fear of persecution, Lord, and just being able to gather around your word and consider the truths therein. I pray that, Lord, this morning you would prepare our hearts now to receive from you, that, Lord, you would teach us, you would instruct us as you see fit. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen me this morning through the Spirit, you give me the wisdom and guidance to speak. It will be your words. It will be your thoughts. And that, Lord, you will be honoured and glorified now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> and Luke chapter 8, we find uh, recorded for us one of our Lord's most famous parables. And of course, we've been doing a series on the parables. And last week, we started looking at the parable stories and This is the second one we're going to look at. So this is one of his most famous parables, the parable of the sower. And it's a a parable that I'm sure we've heard many times before. We've heard it preached. We've perhaps ourselves taught it in Sunday school or at youth group. Um, I'm sure we've read it many times in the Word of God and considered what it means. Just because something is familiar doesn't mean that we should simply skip over it. Uh, There's always more that we can learn from these familiar passages. And so this morning, I want us to focus our attention primarily on Luke's account of this parable. Uh, But of course, we do find this parable recorded um, in Matthew and Mark as well, in uh, Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 4. And we will refer a couple of times to those passages this morning. But we're going to remain mostly in Luke chapter 8. And here we see that Luke, he begins his account by uh, telling us that the Lord speaks this parable to a multitude who have come out of the nearby cities. They come out to hear the Lord uh, preach, essentially, unto them. We see that there in verse 4. It says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. And so we see clearly that you know, this multitude that have come out of the cities nearby, they've come out to hear the Lord speak. And as we've seen him do many times before, the Lord takes a familiar image, something that people would have known, they understand, they've seen, they perhaps have done themselves. He takes this familiar image of someone sowing seed in a field and he uses it to teach spiritual truth. Let's just read the, the parable story that Christ gives here in verse 5. It says, The soul went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Another fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these, these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So here we see the Lord's simple and familiar parable 
story, the image of a farmer sowing seed in his field and the seed falls upon uh, four different types of soil. Now, of course, to fully understand the image here, we have to understand how a farmer would sow a field in Christ's day compared to how we would do it uh, today. Uh, and Dwight Pentecost, he says this, he says, In preparation for sowing the seed, the ground was cleared of all old growth. This caused the entire field to look the same. The sower had no idea of what roots or rocks lay beneath the soil, uh, surface soil. The soil was not ploughed the same as it is today, but rather the seed was broadcast by the sower on the surface of the soil, and the seed was then scratched into the soil with a primitive wooden plough. So you had this image, you know, the field has been cleared. It's right there before him. And the farmer would go out carrying the seed in a bucket or on a pouch on his waist and he would spread the seed. He would cast it out by hand upon the field. And in doing so, the seed would land upon different patches of soil and different types of soil. And Christ here speaks about these four types, the wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground or the good soil. Now, of course, we know and we'll consider it this morning, we know that the Lord is using this image here to teach spiritual truth. However, it's clear from verse 9 and 10 that the spiritual truth was at first hidden from the majority, if not all, of those who are listening to the parable that Christ speaks. We see that there in verse 9, it says, And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now here we see that even uh, the disciples of the Lord at first don't understand. They're confused as well. They don't really understand what the image is all about. And so they come and they say, Lord, explain the parable unto us, which is wonderful, isn't it? Because the Lord actually then graciously explains the parable he gives us the interpretation and it's you know one of the few where christ does this he actually gives us the interpretation of the parable we see that in verse 11 it says now the parable is this the seed is the word of god those by the wayside are they that hear then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved they on the rock are they which when they hear Receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience." Now, it's wonderful that the Lord gives us the interpretation. He interprets the parable for us. And the Lord's interpretation tells us a number of things. A number of things are clear before we really get into it and fully understand the soils here this morning. But Christ makes it clear to us, first of all, the seed in the parable represents the Word of God. Verse 11 says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the Word of God. So we can't make a mistake, can we? The seed is the Word of God. It's the Word of God, and in particular, we could say that the seed represents the gospel message as it is preached. And that's often how we consider this, this parable. 
But it represents the Word of God in general as well, doesn't it? Anytime the Word of God is preached, the seed is being cast forth upon these different types of soil. As I read this, morning, uh, this week with various commentators, they made the point that in every church, every Sunday, there is these types of soil in the congregation. And we'll see that here this morning. So every time the Word is preached, the, the, the seed is being cast forth. And then in verse 12, Christ makes it clear that the, the soils in the parable that this seed is landing upon is the hearts of men. Okay, verse 12, it says, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. So Christ makes it very clear that the soil is the heart of men. That's what we're talking about here this morning. The soil, the various different types, represent the different responses produced by different hearts to the word of God, to the seed. And then finally, the sower in the parable represents anyone who's preaching or teaching the word of God. In particular here, of course, it's Christ because he's the one sowing the seed. Okay, He's preaching to a multitude here in Luke chapter 8. But indeed, any time someone stands up and preaches the word or indeed a Sunday school teacher, um, you might be sharing with a neighbor. Anytime we share the word of God, we're the one sowing the seed, aren't we? And so the parable pictures the word of God preached the seed thrown out upon the soil of men's hearts with varying results. Butler, he notes this. He says, from this parable, we learn that the various responses to the word depend upon the condition of the heart of man. The responses vary greatly and the good response is only one of the four stated responses. You see, this is indeed the simple lesson of the parable, isn't it? That the impact of the word of God depends upon the heart that receives it. The impact of the Word of God depends upon the heart that receives it. It depends upon the hearer. You see, it's never the seed's fault, is it? It's never the Word of God's fault if that seed doesn't germinate and produce something. You see, God's Word is perfect and it is able to accomplish its purpose. You know, Hebrews 4 verse 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Romans 1.16 declares the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so God's word, the seed, is perfect. It is powerful. The varying results are not because the seed fails. The varying results are because of the hearts of men. It's because of the hearer who receives the word. Dwight Pentecost said it well. He said the response does not sorry the response does not depend on the sower or on the seed, but on the soil, that is, on the hearer. And so, with that in mind, let us consider this morning the four kinds of hearts or hearers that are de described here in this parable. So we see first of all here this morning the wayside soil, the wayside. So look in verse 5, it says, The soul went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. In the parable story here, the Lord describes firstly how some of the seed fell by the wayside. Now the wayside here was the pathway that went around the outside of the field, or indeed sometimes across the field, through the middle of it even. And so the farmer, in spreading his seed, 
inadvertently throws seed upon these pathways as well, upon this unproductive soil. You know, this soil is hard, it's compact from all the traffic, all the people walking upon it. Butler notes this, he says, In Bible times the fields were wide open and often had public roads and paths going through them where people walked. These wayside paths became packed down and hard from being frequently walked across. Thus, when the seed fell on these paths, it would not penetrate the ground. You see, the seed that fell upon this type of soil, this hard, compact ground, this seed really had no chance, did it? No chance of growing, no chance of taking roots. These seeds would not be plowed into the earth. You know, remember the farmer would go around afterwards, he'd plow it into the earth, okay? These seeds sitting on the, the path, they're not going to get plowed into the earth. Indeed, they're going to just sit on top of the soil and get trodden into the ground by the next people walking by and indeed quickly snatched up by the birds. That's what Christ says here in verse 5. A soul went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. So it falls upon this path. All that's going to happen is he gets trodden upon and gets snatched away by the birds. This ground will not allow it to grow. This ground produces no growth. There's no germination of the seed. There's no life. The seed doesn't even begin to grow. And Christ gives us the interpretation in verse 12. In verse 12, the Lord says, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. <clears throat> so the Lord here gives us the interpretation. We see very clearly here that the wayside, these hard, compact paths, they represent the person whose heart is hard towards the gospel message and towards the word of God in general. You know, this person comes, they sit under the preaching of the word, or they have the word of God shared with them. They hear the truth, but as Christ declares at the start of the verse, they hear it and do nothing with it. Christ says at the start of the verse, he says, those by the wayside are they that hear. So they do hear the message. They do hear the truth. It's spoken unto them, but it goes no further. The truth lays on the surface. It never penetrates into their hearts. It never germinates. It never grows. One commentator wrote this. He said, their character. Their characterization as soil repeatedly trampled suggests the hardening of minds from the constant tramp of lifelong habits. A hardened shell of emotional and intellectual defenses will not let the word of God penetrate through. See, this is a, per a person who has hardened their heart towards the truth. Slowly, over time, maybe because of their upbringing, whatever it might be, they've hardened their hearts because of the world that we live in they hardened their hearts and so the word of god as it's preached it has no effect upon them and the result of this is that the word is sitting on the surface and it's then quickly snatched away christ tells us there in verse 12 it says those by the wayside are they that hear then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved now, Christ goes on and he tells us very clearly that the birds, 
in the parable, the birds represent the devil and his angels, his fallen angels. germinating and growing actively working to stop people from believing the truth and being saved you see the devil wants to keep men in this hardened state doesn't he he wants to keep their hearts hard he wants to keep them blind and he actively seeks to snatch that seed away before it can germinate in someone's heart commentator Ryle he says this nowhere perhaps is the devil so active as in a congregation of gospel hearers. Nowhere does he labor so hard to stop the progress of that which is good and to prevent men and women from being saved. From him come wandering thoughts and roving imaginations, sleepy eyes and fidgeting nerves, weary ears and distracted attention. In all these things, Satan has a great hand. See, the devil will do all he can to snatch the seed away and i've witnessed that myself in the ministry preaching the gospel message and without fail as the gospel is going forth and the call for salvation there is distractions that seem to happen this person they have to go outside because their kids crying and they're the ones that need the gospel i've seen it happen time and time again the devil is working the devil is seeking to snatch the seed away He's actively working against the gospel. You know, sometimes we sort of downplay the devil and his influence, don't we? And the, de- and the demonic influence. We downplay it a little bit. There is a spiritual battle going on and we see it here with the hardened heart and the seed getting snatched away before it can germinate, produce any fruit, before it can grow. And so it's clear that those represented by this first type of soil the hardened heart, these ones remain unsaved. You know, the seed has been thrown forth and has been snatched away before they can believe. Christ says it, before they can believe and be saved. So this first type of soil represents someone who remains unsaved, unaffected by the gospel message, by the truth. It's snatched away. We see, secondly, the stony soil or the rocky soil. Look in verse 6. It says, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. As the parable story continues, we see now that some of the seed falls upon this second type of soil, the rocky ground. Now, this doesn't picture ground that's full of individual rocks, you know, whether they're big or large. Rather, it pictures ground where there's this thin layer of soil and then underneath is a rock layer. So there's just a thin layer of soil sitting upon a, a rock ledge, if you like. Mark helps us understand this a little bit better. Go over to Mark chapter 4. Let's read what Mark records for us. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 4 and verse 5, <clears throat> it says, Some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And so that's the emphasis here, that it's shallow ground, shallow soil. 
before you get to this rock base underneath. And so the problem is that there's no depth for the seed to grow in. That's the problem that Christ is highlighting here. There's no depth for this seed to grow in. It's shallow soil. And the seed that falls onto this kind of soil, Christ says it springs up quickly and then it withers and dies. We see it there in verse 6 of Luke. It says, and some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. So it springs up quickly, but because it lacks moisture and it can't get depth in the ground, it withers away. Butler writes this. He says, the condition of this soil would foster a quick growth of seed sown on it. The warmth of the rock under the thin layer of soil would act as an incubator and promote a quick germination and growth of the seed. But the layer of rock would prohibit the plant from maturing, for it would oppose any root system and its obtaining of moisture to sustain the plant and encourage its growth. And so the seed that's in this soil upon the rock, it it springs up quickly. There's a quick germination of the seed. But there's nowhere for those roots to go. They hit the rock bed underneath. And there's no source of moisture to keep the plant growing. And so it never matures, it withers and dies. Verse 13, Christ now gives us the interpretation. Verse 13 says, They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no roots, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. The Lord here declares that these people, these people, they come, they hear the word of God, truth, uh, preach, sorry, they hear the truth, the gospel message, and they receive it with joy. He says it there, doesn't he? He says, they on the rock are they which hear the word, receive the word with joy. They receive it with joy. And so already we can see a difference, can't we, between this soil and the first soil. Okay, well, this heart and the first type of heart. The first group, they heard the word, but their hearts were so hard to the truth, the seed couldn't grow, had no effect upon them. You know, they come, they hear the word, and they walk away, and they don't do anything with it. This second group, they hear, and they receive the word with joy. So there's an immediate difference, isn't there? They receive the word. This seed has entered into their hearts, into the soil. It has germinated. It has begun to grow. And this fact leads me to believe that this second group is indeed saved. This second group is saved. Christ himself even goes on and he declares, he says, verse 13, They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, And these have no root, which for a while believe. Christ himself says, for which for a while believe. So they hear the gospel and they believe the truth. They receive it with joy. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They believe, they receive the truth with joy. The seed begins to grow. They are saved. The problem with these people is not that the seed doesn't begin to grow, it's the fact that it never grows to maturity. It never grows to maturity, so they don't grow to spiritual maturity. They remain a seedling. They remain a babe in Christ. They don't have deep roots. They're not getting the moisture that they need to grow. 
from the Word of God. And so when trials and temptation and persecution comes, Christ says they fall away. It's the end of the verse there, isn't it? Okay, and these have no roots, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. They don't have any roots. They're not getting the moisture, the sustenance they need. And so when those trials, those temptations come, they're weak. They're easily pushed over. They easily fall away. Let's read what Matthew says. Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13 and verse 21, it says, Yet hath he not roots in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Here Christ says, because of tribulation or persecution, when it arises against them because of their faith, they're offended. They're offended and they turn aside. They can't handle it. And so here we see clearly the the picture of a person who endures for a while, but when that tribulation, that persecution comes, they're offended, they turn aside. See, as I said, this person sadly is a shallow Christian. There's no spiritual growth. There's no depth to their roots. And we see examples of Christians like this in the Word of God, don't we? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 first of all. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5 verse 12. Hebrews 5 verse 12 says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and, and not of strong meat. You know, Paul here speaks about the fact, he says, you should have been teachers. You should have grown to maturity. But instead, someone has to come and teach you the very first principles again. You're still on the milk. You're not on the meat. These ones that he's writing to are not grown to spiritual maturity. They were babes in Christ. They were weak in the faith. We see it again in Corinthians as well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn there, 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3, and let's read from verse 1. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk. And not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Then he goes on. Again, Paul here, speaking of the Corinthian church, he describes them as being babes in Christ. And he says, ye are yet carnal. He says, you haven't grown to spiritual maturity. You see, sadly, these kind of believers, believers who are shallow, who are spiritually immature, babes in Christ, still carnal, have not grown, these kind of believers easily fall away. These are the ones who, when the trials come, the afflictions come, they're easily uprooted, they're easily pushed over. They're weak in the faith. And so they fall away. Now, let me be clear, they don't lose their salvation. No one can lose their salvation. 
Anyone who's saved is in the hand of, the, of Christ and he says his hand's in the hand of the Father and no man can pluck them out of my hand. We cannot lose our salvation. And so these ones don't lose their salvation. That can never happen. But they can suffer the loss of reward in heaven one day. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. And so the second soul represents this shallow Christian with no real spiritual growth, easily turned aside by persecution and affliction. That brings us to the third type of soil, the thorny soil. The thorny soil, the thorny ground. Verse 7 says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. So thirdly in the parable, we see that some of the seed fell among thorns. Now the picture here is not of seed that falls on ground where there's existing, fully grown thorn bushes. Okay, That's not the picture here. Rather, it's that seed falls on ground that is infested with unseen roots of weeds. Okay, they're underneath the ground. You can't see them. The ground's infested with them. And so the picture here is of seed that falls on some very fertile ground. But in the soil, there are also the roots of these thorns as well. And these thorns, these weeds, they grow up alongside the seed and they choke it. That's what Christ says there in verse 7. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. They sprang up at the same time, and they choke out the seed. You see, this is ground that has not been uh, properly cleared of the weeds, of the thorns. In the productive soil, both the seed and the thorns sprang up, but the rapid and luxurious growth of the thorns soon topped the grain plant and choked it, stifling its life by depriving it of needed light and moisture. And so we see that like the seed on the stony soil, this seed, once again, does indeed germinate. It does begin to grow but it's overpowered by the thorns, the weeds that grow alongside it. And Christ again gives us the interpretation in verse 14. He says, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Here we see clearly that the thorny soil... It represents those who come, they hear the word, they receive the word, but they don't grow and produce fruit. They don't grow to spiritual maturity and produce the fruit of the Spirit. And once again, like the second type of soil, I believe this represents someone who does get saved. Now, the indication is that the seed has penetrated into their hearts. Their hearts are not hard. It has entered in. The seed does enter in, it begins to grow, it germinates. But just like the second group, they do not grow to spiritual maturity. Now the second group didn't grow because they were shallow. They had no roots. They didn't get enough moisture. The Word of God. They remained immature. With the second group, the reason they don't grow to mature uh, maturity The reason they don't go on to produce fruit is that the cares of the world strangle them. 
And that's what Christ says there in verse 14. He says, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Christ makes it very clear. The reason these ones don't grow to maturity, the reason they don't bring forth fruit to perfection is the cares of this life strangle them. Now he mentions here three things that choke them so they don't produce fruit. He says cares, riches and pleasures of this life. Cares, they speak of the worries of life. You know, worry can prevent us from growing to spiritual maturity. Because if we're worrying about everything, we're not concentrating on the blessings of God, are we? We're not trusting in Him. We're not relying upon Him. We lack faith. See, worry about the cares of life prevents us from seeing His goodness. It stifles our growth. Riches. This, of course, speaks of the desire for wealth, doesn't it? You know, when we get our eyes off the Lord and we get our eyes on the earthly treasures, the things of this earth, and our eyes are there and they're not upon the heavenly, we've lost sight of what's really important, haven't we? We've lost sight of what matters. Luke 12, verse 34, Christ says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where our treasure is, that's where our affections lie. That's where our desires lie that's what we're serving that's what we're living for riches again they hinder our spiritual growth if that's what we're living for and finally he says the pleasures of life you know this speaks of all the sinful pleasures that men seek after this speaks of this speaks sorry of living for these things living for these sinful pleasures fulfilling the lusts of the flesh We've all seen that where someone who was living for the Lord is turned aside by the pleasures of life, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. They want those things that the world gets to enjoy. And so they turn aside. You see, these three things, <coughs> sorry, these three things, the care, riches and pleasures of life, they easily stifle a believer's growth. And they cause us to become ineffective for Christ, to not produce fruit. You know, we see an example of a believer like this in 2 Timothy. Turn over there. <coughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second <coughs> Timothy 4 verse 10. I'm sure we know this verse but just the start of it it says for Demas having forsaken me having loved this present world and he's departed from Thessalonica Grecians to Galatia uh, Grecians sorry to Galatia Titus unto Dalmatia it says about Titus uh, Demas sorry it says Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world you know Demas before this had been a pretty faithful companion he'd been on journeys with the apostle Paul he labored alongside him But here we see him turn back. Why? Because he loved this present world. The cares, the riches, the pleasures of life choked and destroyed Demas. And sadly, there are many believers today who are not growing and they're not growing and producing fruit for the Lord because of all these weeds, all these thorns that are choking their spiritual growth. 
even to the point of causing some like Demas to turn aside, to turn back, even to turn aside from the faith. Now again, as we said earlier with the second group, that doesn't mean they lose their salvation. If they turn aside, if they get choked out by these weeds, it doesn't mean they lose their salvation. We know that's not the case. But it does mean the loss of reward in heaven one day. Second Corinthians chapter 5, it makes it clear that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged according to what we have done for Him. Let's go there, Second Corinthians 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second Corinthians chapter 5 <clears throat> and verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. One day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account to him of what we have done for Christ here on earth. And those that turn aside are choked out by the cares of this life and fail to live for the Lord. They will suffer loss on that day. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn there, 1 Corinthians 3. First Corinthians 3 and verse 13. We'll start back in verse 12, uh, 11. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built, Thereupon he shall receive a reward. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. We see clearly this idea that we will stand before Christ, and what we have done for him will be tried. And it says in verse 15, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Loss of reward. But then the end of the verse says, But he himself shall be saved. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? Even if they turn aside and get choked out by the thorns of this life, even if they're shallow and they turn aside because of persecution, they won't lose their salvation. It's a loss of reward one day when they stand before the Lord in glory. Indeed, we need to, as believers, weed out the thorns, the weeds in our life, or else they will stifle our spiritual growth. We must set our affection on things above. And that brings us now, fourthly, to consider this morning the good soil. The good soil. Back in Luke chapter 8 and verse 8, <clears throat> Christ says, Another fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Finally, we see that some of the seed fell on the good soil, the good ground. This is the soil that's capable of producing excellent crops. Now, Christ declares here, that the seed that fell on this soil brings forth much fruit. He says it brings forth bare fruit and hundredfold. So it brings forth much fruit under him. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 8, we see slightly different words used. Just turn over there. <clears throat> Matthew 13 <clears throat> and verse 8. It says, but other fell into good ground 
and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. You know, in Matthew verse 8 there, it talks about the fact that the fruit, the, the soil, where the good soil, where the seed enters in, it will always produce fruits, but not necessarily always the same amount. It doesn't mean that all of us as believers who are in this good soil, our heart is soft as we'll talk about, doesn't mean that we're all going to produce the same amount of fruits. We're all going to produce different amounts based on how we grow spiritually. And so the point is that every seed that finds good ground will produce fruit, not necessarily the same amounts. Some 100-fold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. But all the seed that finds this good soil is fruitful. And this is the kind of soil that the farmer is looking for. Soil that's not hardened, it's not shallow, it's not infested with weeds or thorns. This instead deep, fertile soil that is ready to produce an abundant crop of fruit. And Christ then gives us the interpretation once more in verse 15. Verse 15 says, But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. The Lord here makes it clear that this final type of soil represents the person who comes with a heart that is soft and ready to receive the word of God. These people, Christ says, they have an honest and good heart. This speaks of them being open and receptive to what the word of God says unto them. They hear God's word, they act upon it, they believe it, and then they do more than that, they keep it. Christ says that there in verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest, uh, sorry, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. They keep it. This is what sets them apart. They now seek to live the word of God in their daily lives. They seek to obey him. They seek to daily draw nigh unto him, to be fed, to grow to spiritual maturity. The Lord becomes their priority instead of the cares of this world. They put down deep, strong roots by spending time in God's word instead of being shallow. We see that in Psalm chapter 1. Let's go there. We know this passage well. (coughs) But it talks about this idea of being fed and putting down roots. Psalm chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. Here we're given a perfect description, aren't we, of this kind of hearer. They continue to spend time daily in the Word of God. In His Lord doth He meditate day and night. He spends time in God's Word daily, receiving the water of the Word. He says, like a tree planted by rivers of water. They're being fed. They're receiving the moisture they need. So their roots go down deep, so they grow to maturity. And bring forth fruit in his season. We read at the end of the verse, back in Luke chapter 8, 
It says, and bring forth fruit with much, uh, sorry, with patience. And bring forth fruit with patience. This is the end result of the good soil. The fruit doesn't happen instantaneously. You notice that? It doesn't immediately happen. It happens with patience, endurance. It takes time. And it's not something we can force to happen either. Spiritual growth and fruit. It happens through the power of the Spirit. As we like the psalmist said, as we spend time in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we know this verse well, but let's turn there. 2 Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians 3 and verse 18, it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirits of the Lord. We're changed from glory to glory, little by little, into His image. How? As we spend time gazing at Him in His Word. And the Spirit does the work by the Spirit of the Lord. This is what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is us growing to be more like Him, maturing in Christ. And it's a work that the Spirit does in us. And the Spirit is the one who produces the fruits. You know, Galatians 5, we won't turn there, but it says the fruit of the Spirit is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's His work in us as we grow and mature through the Word of God. Now, of course, spiritual fruit is what God desires from all of us as believers. But it will only happen as we grow and mature spiritually. And that's why Romans 12 verse 2 warns us. It says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, Romans 12 verse 2 makes it very clear that we can be conformed to the world. There is a possibility of us falling away because we're shallow Christians or because we are choked out by the thorns of this life. There is a very real possibility that we can be conformed to this world and fall away. Backslidden Christian. That's why he says, be not conformed to the world, but be what? Transformed by renewing our minds through the word of God. To produce fruit, we must remain soft. We must remain soft and receive the word. Spend time in the word. Be getting that moisture we need. Being open and receptive to the truth of God's word. And beloved, I wonder this morning, what kind of soil are we? What kind of hearer are we? I wonder, is your heart hard and callous to the Word? So much so that it's never produced a change in you. You've never seen your need of salvation. And if that's true, then I pray that today God would soften your hearts so you would see your need of Him. And for those of us who are saved, I wonder, are we shallow? Are we immature believers not spending enough time in the water of God's word and therefore easily shaken by every trial, every persecution, temptation that comes our way? Are we immature believers who are being strangled out by the thorns of this life, the cares, the riches, the pleasures? Or beloved, are we believers with a soft and receptive heart to the truth of God's word? Are we spending time getting that moisture? Allowing God to change us to be more like Him. 
so that the Spirit might produce the fruit in us. I pray this morning that our hearts are soft and they're ready to receive His Word. Let's close in the Word of Prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word this morning. Lord, a parable that we are all very familiar with. But Lord, it's so good to just stop and be reminded as to what this image means. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us all to be like that good soil, to have a soft, receptive heart to your word, to be daily getting the moisture we need by spending time in your word, drawing nigh unto you, so that you might change us little by little to be more like you and produce fruit in us. Lord, just work in our hearts today. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>